begin, I want to say that this is a message in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 on Christian parenting. But before I do, I feel like I need to say this. Around our city and our country, in our schools and in our churches, we are witnessing firsthand the devastating repercussions of absentee fathers and men. The the statistics are as depressing as they are convicting. 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway and homeless children come from fatherless homes. 60% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. These statistics, as I said, are as depressing as they are convicting. And this is not to say that mothers are not incredibly important. They are. And this is not to bash on mothers who are single moms. They are incredible. But in particular, this morning, what we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, addresses parents by way of the fathers. And I don't think that can be lost here, church. In God's providence and in God's paradigm, as the church, we have failed to disciple men. We have failed to make boys into men. And what we're seeing happen around our country, what we're seeing happen around our community, indeed, even what we're seeing in some of our churches is a direct result of that fact. We have failed to recruit men toward Christ's likeness, and we have allowed women to occupy roles and responsibilities that men alone were designed by God to occupy with their wife, their God-given helper by their side. This has had its effect This morning, however, we're going to hear a word from the Lord, and that word is going to come to us through his inspired word, the Bible, in particular, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6. And it's going to teach us two things. How many things? Two things. A parent's passion and a parent's purpose. Say it with me. A parent's passion and a parent's purpose. These two points are going to lead us through what I believe each and every Christian parent should be implementing in their home, regardless of whether they have one, two, five, or ten children. These are principles for each and every one of us. So without any further ado, let us look first and foremost at a parent's passion. First and foremost, let us look at our first point, a parent's passion. Let's address this point. I see it in verse 4 where it says, Fathers, do not, what? Provoke your children to anger. Here we're taught that a parent's passion or the way a parent chooses to do their parenting shouldn't be done in such a way that it invariably causes anger in the child they are parenting. 
Now, here's my question. When it comes to Christian parenting, what should a parent's passion be? What should parents be passionate about when we talk about Christian parenting? I have a few suggestions. First, a parent's passion should be for their child's soul. A parent's passion should be for their child's soul. Before anything and everything, before they walk, before they start taking regular food, before they're potty trained, before they start school, before they get their first test or take their first field trip, before their first fight or their first breakup, before anything and everything, church, a parent's first and foremost concern must be for their child's soul. As Christian parents, our first passion should be that our children know and love Jesus, that they obey his commandments. And that they're willing, with gladness, to spread the good news of the gospel in both word and in action. We aren't in the business of making hollow people here in this church. People who don't kill, rob, or rape, but who are still on a path to hell because they have not repented of their sin and do not love Jesus. The purpose of Christian parenthood, say amen if you're listening, the purpose of Christian parenthood is to raise up more Christians who love Jesus, who serve their family and serve others, and praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is such a drastic and depressing and disappointing breakdown that is evident to us. Muslims make Muslims. Jews make Jews. But Christians make these like free will, do what you want kind of people. But not here. Here in this church, we raise Christians. It's not a choice. It's not an option. Because a parent's first passion should be for their child's soul. If we're parents who raise children who don't love Jesus and don't fear God, really, what congratulations are we due? Being a law-abiding citizen isn't a prerequisite for heaven. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ are. There are people in hell today who obeyed society's rules but didn't love Jesus. Parents, your first passion must be for your child's soul. Secondly, a parent's passion should be for their child's health. And I mean this with sincerity and love. This isn't necessarily a dig toward anybody or anything, so don't take this like he's speaking to me. I am, but not really. Luke chapter 8, verse 8 says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So if I'm speaking to you, just receive it, okay? Listen, your children need to eat healthy. Your children need regular meals. 
Your children don't need junk and they don't need sporadic scheduling. You need to give your kids three meals a day, not chips, not sugar, not soda. That stuff should not be in your house. You are responsible to raise healthy children. Not subcontract that job to the society or to the school or to the church. You, this is, this is crazy, this is otherworldly, but receive it, okay? You are responsible for your children's health. Not Michelle Obama. Doesn't matter what they do to the lunch system in schools. The school is not responsible for your kids' health. You are. You need to feed your kids well. You need to feed them well regularly. And you need to remove from your house the things that break down their immune system, break down their neurological activity, break down their joints, their muscles, their ligaments. You need to give them water and good food. No soda. Not a ton of fake juice. You turn it over, it says 4% juice. None of that. You need to set up your kids to be healthy. Here's something else you need to receive. Your children need to be in bed at a reasonable time. No kid has any business being up past 10 o'clock. No kid. I don't care what position they fall in in that window of age group. At 10 o'clock, your kids need to be asleep. The only reason your kids can stay up that late is because you let them sleep till 11. Your kids need to be up in the morning. They need to live during the day and they need to sleep at night. That's your job. It's your job to regulate their clock. It's your job to regulate their principles and their practices. It's your job to make sure that they're getting the sleep that they need to grow well. If you don't establish these habits early in their life, the statistics show that they will never have these habits. They will always live according to whatever whim they have in that day if you don't teach them in the first six to eight years of their life that structure and organization matters. Now, fortunately with Jesus, there are always second chances. But sometimes he's not gracious with us in that way. Sometimes he makes us work for those second chances because we didn't listen. So he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Your kids need to eat well. They need to eat regularly. Subtract the junk from the house and make sure they're sleeping their seven hours. Make sure they're getting to bed at a decent time. Here's another thing. Your children need to take a bath There is something medicinal about hot water and soap. Amen? There are some things that a shower fixes. You don't need therapy. You don't need counseling. You, don't, you need a shower. And sometimes you don't need a shower. Sometimes you need a bath bomb in a bath. As adults, we forget that our children are people. Amen? They need five minutes from our insanity. 
Let them go take a bath for 30 minutes and have a little unplugged time. It's a terror that is a reality we have to accept that when we leave K-5 and go to first grade, we're not allowed to take naps anymore. This is a travesty. Naps are amazing things. I am a believer in a 20-minute power nap. Churchill, Reagan, all great men, Napoleon, all great men take naps. Sometimes you got to unplug your brain every now and then. Now, can you, can, you, can you hear me? Can you receive this for a second? Your kids need a break from you. Okay, you need to give your kids a break. Come home one day from CVS with a couple bath bombs and say, look what I got you. Let them soak in a bath of hot water and chill. It is therapeutic. Let them have it. This is an important part of growing up in a healthy way. They need to eat well. They need a system, a structure of sleeping and rest, and they need to be clean. And if part of that process is detaching from everybody, shutting the door and just being on their own for a little while, for the love of all that is holy, let them have it. That is the least expensive counselor bill you will ever have. Let them have it. This is part of what makes our kids healthy, friends. Our children aren't to be in their rooms 20 hours a day. Our children are not to be on a device 20 hours a day. Our children should not be isolated, disengaged, ignored, and overlooked. If this is how you're running your house, shame be on you. Eating chips, room full of wrappers, empty bottles, sleeping all kind of odd hours. No, absolutely not. I expect more of you. Your God expects more of you. This job that he has entrusted to you, namely to steward those beautiful children that he's given to you, he expects you to do a phenomenal job. This is your first and foremost responsibility as an adult. It's going to require energy. It's going to require passion. As Christian parents, we must be passionate about our children's health because their health will not happen accidentally. It's our responsibility to teach them self-care and self-love. If we don't, then we aren't preparing them for the adulthood that God is expecting them to occupy, and that makes us poor stewards. Which leads me to my last thought. Finally, a parent's passion should be for their, child, their child's independence. A parent's passion should be for their child's independence. At the end of the day, family, our children belong to whom? God. True, he has graciously and mercifully entrusted them to us, and we have to love them well and grow them well, and it behooves us not to mess this thing up. The responsibility that God has passed down to us doesn't come with a never-ending promise 
of our presence. Believe it or not, when your kids are entrusted to you, there's a clock on this thing, man. If you don't get it right by a certain time, it ain't going to get right. There are 30, 40, 50-year-old adults who are still behaving with their parents the way they did when they were 14 because their parents blew it. And there's this ridiculous codependent relationship that the parents have with the kids and the kids have with the parents. Sure, they have a job and they have a family, but they could never survive without their parents. That's not Christian parenting. That's a fault. Your passion should be for your children's independence. It should not be attractive to you that your kids can't function without you. You should have a pride as a parent. You should have a confidence as a parent that what you did in their early years gave them the foundation and preparation required by them to be successful and healthy adults to God's glory. Now, your kids are always going to come to you. Your kids are always going to make that phone call. Hey, let me ask you something, Dad. Hey, let me ask you something, Mom. But don't you want to have that relationship peer-to-peer at that point, rather than, oh, they're calling me because they're going to need this, they're going to need that, because I failed to prepare them for life. We must parent in such a way that our children become independent of us, not disconnected from us, independent of us. Now, I know that circumstances happen, and everybody has valleys, right? This is a general rule and principle that we all, each and every one of us, need to hear and receive. This does not mean that if your children as adults have hardships, you go, hey, best of luck. That's not what this means. I have real issues with people who come to church and they tithe and they give and they'll give to a missions offering and then when their kids need some sort of help because they have been let go because of a pandemic or whatever other circumstance might happen, they go, oh, good luck with that. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a person who does not care for his family is worse than an infidel. Your family comes first. Your family comes first. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If your family's in a unique situation, as a parent, you don't have to say, what a failure I am. That's not necessarily the case. Everyone's circumstance is unique and different and is special unto them. However, as a general rule, we should not be raising dependents. We should be raising people who are at the cusp of adulthood are excited about their independence and the responsibility that comes with it. You shouldn't have to helicopter your children. You shouldn't have to make every single decision for them. You should be able to trust them with responsibility and godly decisions. If you can't, you have failed somewhere. Somehow. As parents, we sometimes have to repent of our shortcomings.
Amen. 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 I know there are plenty of times I've had to say I was wrong. I was wrong here. I apologize. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I've had to do this. If you have not done that, it's not an issue of whether or not you needed to. I can guarantee you, you needed to. If you have not extended yourself to your children so that you don't besmirch the gospel and you say, listen, I know I taught that and then I live this way. That's on me. That's not on Jesus. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for that? If you haven't done that, you're failing your children who are looking to Jesus through you. And they're looking to learn what it means to be a Christian who is an adult that isn't perfect. Parents should be passionate about their children, passionate about their soul, passionate about their health, and passionate about their independence. But regardless of a parent's passion, a parent's passion shouldn't provoke their children to anger. How does this happen? How does it happen? When Paul talks about a father, we can say parents. A parent's mode or method of parenting is such and such a way that it actually exasperates the children. It provokes the children to anger. Well, the word provoke literally means to annoy, to agitate, or to anger. So we get an understanding of what the Apostle Paul is saying here from the the bare meaning of the word. How does provoking our children happen? Listen up and hear me. It happens when we set up standards that are unrealistic and our children end up frustrated. It happens when our expectations are too high And our children always feel like failures. It happens when our love is conditioned upon their behavior. And it's withheld for one reason or another. It happens when we fail to celebrate our children's victories and wins. You got to celebrate their wins. You got to acknowledge them. It happens when we expect them to function like healthy people, but we don't provide those things which they require in order to be healthy. I'm an administrator and an educator, not to mention a parent. And I can tell you for certain without hesitation, our families and our children need the love of Jesus Christ desperately. We need it as parents. Amen? Our children need it. But in God's providence and plan, the way our children receive the love of Jesus is to such a high percentage through us. We're demonstrating it. 
We're living it. We're speaking it. Our society has broken down in a hundred places because we've replaced responsibility with pleasure. We've replaced accountability with preference. We've replaced truth with relativism. And we've replaced the hard work of family life with convenience. If you would be a successful Christian parent, then you must be a passionate parent. Passionate about your child's soul, about your child's health, and about your child's future independence. Second, let's look at a parent's purpose. We've talked about a parent's passion. Let's turn the corner and look at our second point, which is a parent's purpose. If you would, please look at Ephesians chapter 6 again. We're going to read this in one foul swoop. It's going to begin in verse 1 like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, fathers, and of course we can say here, parents, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. By way of reminder, let me again make this point. A Christian parent's responsibility isn't just to raise their children in a safe and loving home so that they are good students and good citizens. That clearly isn't a bad goal or a bad reward. But we aren't parents in general, church. We are Christians first. Amen? A Christian parent's responsibility is to raise their children, Paul says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's look at this phrase a little more closely. First, the word for discipline is the word paideia. It means teaching, instruction, and training. It's the word we get pedagogy from. Did you get that? The word is graphic. It it tells us that our responsibility to the Lord in regards to parenting has to do with teaching, instruction, and training. Christian parenting isn't lazy or disengaged. It includes teaching, instruction, and training. Education is an incredibly important part of our faith. Sure, there are parents who will teach and instruct and train their children on how to use curse words. There are parents who will teach and instruct and train their kids on how to drink alcohol. Well, they're going to do it somewhere. They might as well do it here. Stupidest philosophy I've ever heard. There are parents who are going to teach and instruct and train their kids on how to catch or how to throw a ball. But they won't teach them morals. They won't teach them right and wrong. And most importantly of all, they won't teach them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us that as Christian parents, 
We should be teaching our children the truth of the gospel. We should be instructing them in the scriptures. And we should be training them to think and to reason as Christians who are possessed by God the Holy Spirit. This is partly what's entailed by the word padea, discipline. We have to discipline our children. But the idea of discipline would also include correction. And by that, I'm referring to the question of whether or not a parent should correct their child. And if they should correct their children, should that correction include a physical aspect? In other words, should a Christian parent spank their children? As I do on virtually every other issue, I have an opinion on this. So let me meet it out to you a little bit at a time. Because this is a very important issue. Three things I want to share with you. First, the Bible teaches physical correction. There are no ways around this. You can dilute it, build a hedge around it. You can reason your way around it, whatever you want. But at the end of the day, prima facie, at first look, as clear as day, the Bible teaches physical correction. There's no escaping this truth. None. The Bible teaches, and actually expects physical correction. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13. It says, do not withhold discipline. There's the word. Do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. I've lost like 70% of you. <laughs> the first thing to see is that it's expected. Okay? Do not withhold discipline from your child. Expectation. Second part that I want you to see is what he says after that expectation. This is very important. He says, if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Now, get this. The very tone of this verse seems to say, in my mind, and I'm relatively educated, the very tone of this verse to me seems to say that physical correction should not do harm. The way it says it here, he will not die has with it a tone that basically is saying, get this, while the Bible clearly teaches physical correction, it absolutely does not teach physical beating. Proverbs 23.13 basically says that physical discomfort is what physical discipline does. It doesn't break a kid. It doesn't humiliate a kid or harm a kid to such an extent that they can't walk, they can't sit, and they're afraid of you. That is not discipline. That is punishment. And punishment is what angry totalitarian authoritarians do because they want their way. That's, that's not the point. 
Punishment is one thing. That's what we do to prisoners. Discipline has as its goal instruction. Training. So Proverbs 23.13 says, as point of fact, there's an expectation that there's a physical aspect to discipline when you're a parent and your child is growing up. But if you hit him with a rod, he shall not die, seems to imply that you're not beating the living daylights out of your kid. That's punishment. That's not discipline. Let me say this. If you're harming your kid's spirit, if you're leaving them with welts, if every time you go to hug them, they step back out of fear of your hand, you are wrong, and you need to repent, and you need to make it right with your children. That is not biblical discipline. But physical discipline is taught. Amen? Secondly, the Bible teaches physical correction as a general rule, but that isn't the only kind of correction. The Bible teaches physical discipline, but that is not the only kind of correction. In my opinion, this is where Christian wisdom and godliness come into play. As a Christian parent, you have to know yourself, and you have to know your child. If you have a temperament that goes from zero to 60, go outside and beat a log. Don't hit your kid. If you have an attitude problem, you better go outside and beat air. But don't take your attitude problem, which is a sin you need to deal with with God, out on your child. That's not acceptable. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. What a shame it is that endeavoring to teach discipline to their child, an undisciplined parent doesn't see their own sin. How can we teach discipline if we are undisciplined ourselves? As a Christian parent, you have to know yourself and you have to know your child, honestly, in the light of God's truth, and follow through with discipline accordingly. There are some children you who are going to require physical correction. There is no way around it. They are strong-willed, they are stubborn, and they are rebellious. But you're the boss. And they have to learn that you're the boss. And you have to teach them to harness that energy that God has given to them in their personality and disposition toward godliness and toward goodness. And in order for you to accomplish that goal in a strong-willed, stubborn, hard child, you are going to have to exert physical correction. Now you say, no, no. There's always exceptions. Listen, 
If you try to talk the rebellion out of a rebellious child, you know what you make? You make a manipulator. They learn to converse with you. They learn what words to use. They learn what tone to use so that they can get their way and go on rebelling because that's what rebels do. They want their way all the time, everywhere, in every circumstance. You're creating a nightmare situation if you try to talk the rebellion out of a rebel because that child doesn't get less rebellious. They get more and more cunning, more and more manipulative. They learn to use your conversations and your words against you to put off discipline. That is a biblical requirement on your part as a parent. And in this context, if you find yourself in debates with your children, say amen if you're listening, you've already lost. You've already forfeited your ground and you've lost. In this context. On the other hand, I want you to hear this. There are some children who feel corrected if you go like this. That's it. It's all it takes. That's all it takes. This is what I'm talking about when I say you have to use wisdom and godliness to decide when and where and how. Physical correction with, you know, in our, in, we're in Miami, right? The chancleta? <laughs> or the belt? Okay, right? Okay. Hit yourself and then hit your kid. You never say, I'm going to beat you until I'm tired. You say, hey, I told you this. You deliberately crossed the line. You're getting five on the back of your leg. One, two, three, four, five. Call it a day. Done. Okay, done. Now, they need to feel it, but if they can't walk afterwards, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. It needs to be productive. You're not beating the kid. You're disciplining the kid, and you never use your hands. You never want your kids afraid of your hands. You use an item. The chancleta in our house for a while is a spatula. <laughs> you know, the kids are like, you frying eggs or did I do something wrong? You know? <laughs> but listen, every single child that God makes and sends into this world through parents is different. There are some kids that you can discipline physically from now until whenever, and they're just hard kids. And there's other kids where you just look at them, and that's it. They start crying. You have to be wise about these things. Just because the Bible teaches an expectation of physical correction doesn't mean that every single kid that's ever been born requires physical correction. There are other modes of discipline. For example, obviously, I've talked about the look. But sometimes we say, time out. If you have an extroverted kid, if you have a kid who's a gregarious personality, they love being around everybody, and maybe they mouth off or they did something wrong, take them and stick them in a room by themselves. I don't mean iPad, TV, all that kind of, in a room like a closet. And sit them in that. They're not going to die. 
It's air conditioned and the whole nine yards. Nothing's going to happen to him. Sit him in there. Sit him in there. You got, you have, when can I come out? When I tell you, you can come out. That's all they need. They don't need a belt. They don't need a chancleta. They don't need any of that stuff because God has made them that way. They're sensitive. You, su- you subtract them from the, from the group and it crushes them. You don't need to do that. Sometimes it's as simple as a, don't, Hollis, I'm going to point at you for a second, okay? Because I know you're tough enough to take it. Don't let me catch you do that again. Sometimes that's, a, sometimes that's all it takes. It's done. It's a done issue. Other times, you need to say that and separate them from anything and everything else. As they get a little older, time out, as we call it, can include the movies, social time, whatever the case might be. Another option that is not physical correction for these types of personalities are corrective measures like chores. You brought home a grade I told you not to bring home. All the cars need to be washed. Get to it. Throw Dawn soap and water on the sidewalk. Let them scrub the sidewalk. I don't get it. It sounds like the epic of Sisyphus. They're pushing the rock up the hill, and the, hills, and the rock's coming right back down the hill. Who cares? Who cares? The point is, is if we have an agreement, and you understand that I'm the boss of you, and you are not the boss of me, and I place upon your shoulders an expectation that I expect you to fulfill as the parent, and you don't fulfill it, there are consequences. Now in our city, we don't, our country, we don't believe in it. We burn cities. We don't, we don't care. It's like, what? everybody do whatever you want. Is that how you rule your house? Is that how you run your house? Because if it is, you're in the wrong place. Here, we believe that actions have reactions and decisions have consequences. And part of our job as parents is to pass this down to our kids. Now, if this personality, this particular kid, does not need physical correction, please listen to me when I say this to you. You cannot physically discipline these kids. You cannot physically discipline kids who are made like this. You can harm them. You can break them. You can crush their spirit. If it isn't necessary for the love of God, do not physically correct a kid that doesn't require physical correction. Now third, the Bible teaches that physical correction is temporary. And some of you have been leading already mentally with this question. Okay, well, okay, so I've learned something about physical correction. Okay, I've also learned that maybe it's not always required. Next question, how long? How long? Proverbs 29, 17. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. I'm just, for the, just for kicks and giggles. Discipline your daughter, 
and she will give you rest. It doesn't say discipline your child every single day of their life. It says instead, discipline them while you should, and you will have rest later. In other words, discipline is not something you do until they're 20. I'll be honest with you. If you do it right, you shouldn't even have to do it at 14 or 15. If you discipline your children when they're young, they learn the lessons between bad decision and consequences pretty fast. That's unpleasant. They learn fast, trust me. Or the consequences of being separated or not being allowed to do this, that, or the other thing. They learn, yeah, that was not fun. I'm going to start making decisions that that are more in favor for my life and in the boundaries that my parents have established. That might not be the rationale, but they understand If you discipline them when you're supposed to, then they will bring you rest. In other words, if you do it when you're supposed to, you won't have to do it long. In view of all that, let me say this. If you're still disciplining your kids and they're in their teens or their late teens, you've lost the opportunity. They don't understand consequences. They have learned something from you or your failure to parent. And what they've learned is this. Consequences dictate my course of action. So if I don't get caught, it's not wrong. Or the consequences are always so minimal that I'm willing for the pleasure of disobeying God and my parents to do the crime because the time is not a big deal. You failed. If that's where you are as a parent, you've dropped the ball. Friends, this is not a game we're playing. The greatest issue that you're going to face with your child isn't whether or not they'll follow your, your rules. We're, we're not raising chimpanzees here. We can, we can teach chimpanzees to do stuff, right? This isn't Ivan Pavlov's dogs with the bell. Okay, we are not sociologists. We are Christian parents. Get this, we are in the heart business. We are in the spiritual business. And whatever we decide to do with our children must bring them closer to us, and it must bring us closer to them. And ultimately, it must bring them closer to God. And if what we're doing is not achieving that, we're doing it wrong. It's that simple. We can teach the dogs and the chimpanzees to jump through hoops. This is something greater. Our kids don't have a rule problem. They need to learn that our kids have a heart problem. Regardless of how much we love them, and regardless of how much they might impress us, amen if you're listening, our kids need to learn that they're sinners. And sinners are in need of a Savior. That's what we're doing here. We're teaching our children what Hebrews chapter 9 says, it is appointed to every man one day to die, and then he will give an account. We are teaching our children that there is something serious between right 
and wrong blessing and consequence. Some of you have been taking your kids' phones away every other week, and they don't adjust their behavior. It's not working. Give them their phone. Teach them to be responsible instead of taking from them something that in the end they're going to have anyway. Teach them responsible usage. That's what we should be focusing on. There's no way in heaven or in hell that they're going to live anything of a young adult or adult life without a cell phone. You might as well teach them not to live without a phone, but to live with a phone in a godly way. That's what you should be doing. Some of you are talking to your kids, and they're going to die from all the talking. Less talking, more action. Deal with it. It's done. Move on. Stop rewinding the tape and reminding them of the F that they got or the back talk that they did. Deal with it. Give them the consequences. Move on. Jesus does not remind you every six months of all you've been forgiven of. So who do we think we are? Forgive, pay the debt, move on. In your discipline, do not provoke your kids to anger. Teach them. Instruct them. Admonish them. For example, instead of taking something away, teach them to use healthy boundaries. This is hard. This is hard to do as a parent. But God loves your kids more than you do. And when you establish healthy boundaries and guidelines for your children, and you practice blessing and curse, blessing and curse, you help them understand that good decisions have rewards and bad decisions have consequences, right? If you do that, there comes a time, parent, listen, you've got to let go of your kids. You need to let them make mistakes. Now, you can guide them a little bit here and there so that the mistake is not too severe, but eventually, you've got to let God be God in your kid's life. You cannot be who our God is for your children. When your children get to that independent stage of their life, you want them to call on God before they call on you. Here's the point. Whatever discipline you choose, and it's entirely up to you, you have to decide for your home and for your children. But whatever discipline you choose, if your method of discipline doesn't create the right response, if your method of discipline is not growing the Christian character in your kids, your method of discipline stinks. It's not working. Either something works or it doesn't. I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm giving you suggestions. At the end of the day, you and your wife or you and your husband need to decide that for yourself. Whatever's right for your home, do it that way. Your children should be thinking more and more and more with every discipline event or every reward event more like a Christian because they understand the gospel better because of the way you're parenting. Christian parenting achieves goals. It doesn't just do things and say, hey, look, I'm a parent. No, as a parent, 
we are achieving goals, which leads us to the second word. Paul says that we should not provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, we've addressed that, and instruction of the Lord. Now, the word for instruction is similar to, but different from discipline. It's the word nuthesia. It's sometimes translated admonition. If you have a King James version, you'll see the word admonition there. Sometimes, like in the New English Bible, it's translated correction. It means basically the same thing as padea, which is discipline, except it carries with it a tone of warning. It amazes me how many parents aren't having that sit-down conversation that includes warnings with their kids. Listen, this is where you are. These are the decisions you're making, and this is where it's going to land you. You need to have that conversation with your kids. You need to have that, this is what God's word says, and this is how you've been living your life. Let me tell you what's coming tomorrow. You need to have those admonitions. You need to have those warnings with your kids so that not everything is tied to you, but they start to understand that God is watching them and that God will bless them or make life really hard for them. As the scripture says, we must remember that as a father disciplines their child, so does our heavenly father discipline us. These are the conversations that you have with a serious tone. These are the conversations that display the tie between warnings and consequences for our children. It is not parental to say, hey, listen, if you drink too much, call me. It's not parental to say, if you're going to have premarital sex, make sure you use a condom. That's not parental. That's irresponsible and unchristian. Our kids are going to make mistakes. Our kids are going to make bad decisions because our kids are sinners. But we can never achieve in our children what Jesus can achieve in them. But they will not be aware of Jesus' seriousness if we do not regularly bring Jesus by way of warning and by way of solemnity to their mind. That's what Paul is saying here, the instruction of the Lord. If you, if you threaten and discipline and they go behind you and do things anyway, you need to amp it up. If you're threatening and disciplining and your kids are awesome, you need to lighten up. At the end of the day, your kids are your responsibility and my kids are my responsibility. But the word of God has the same standard for us both. We are not raising lost people here. We are raising people in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if they're frustrated, if they're agitated, if they're provoked to anger because of the way we're parenting, we need to repent. We need to get on our knees before God, and we need to say, Lord, you are my heavenly Father. Teach me to parent the children you gave me well. <laughs>